last verse. May his beauty rest upon me. Do you know the beauty of the Lord resting upon your life to where your community looks at you, where your coworkers look at you and they only see Jesus? And do they only see Christ? And that is somewhat what we'll, we'll be talking about this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, last week we looked specifically at some men who had come to the Passover there to worship, Greeks as the Bible mentions them, and had a view unlike anybody else in that passage. They were desperate to see the miracle worker Jesus. They, they, the promised Messiah that they had come to worship, they now saw him right in front of them, and they were coming and they came to Philip and they're determined and desperate to see Jesus. And we're going to come, we'll, we'll back up in our reading just a few verses to get the context of what's happening here. As you found John chapter 12, let's look at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him. That means they beseeched him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now that's a unique detail to add, but I believe the Lord, when he was inspiring the pages of Scripture, wanted us to be able to see the whole scene of, of the disciples. They, they know people, and the, the Jews are, are trying to kill Jesus, and so they're having this conversation, they, they come and tell Jesus, and this is all happening as we can see it right before one of the greatest statements of all that Jesus makes in Scripture. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them and said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus' hour to sacrifice himself for our sins and to die on the cross had come. This was it. This was, this was the entire reason why he came. And Jesus begins this hour as he starts with a challenge to his disciples in verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This morning, we'll examine the purpose of, of this hour. What, what, what did Christ lay out in Scripture for us to see that was significant about this hour that is come? And why, did, why should it matter to us as Christians? But also, what, what does it mean when Christ says that we need to hate our own life? I believe Christ is saying simply to us this morning that it is only when we say no to ourselves that we can then say yes to God and experience God's full blessing on our life. It's only when we say no to self that we can actually say yes to God and see God's hand of blessing on our life. We'll look at that here this morning. Father, would you help us as we look at your, your word here? Lord, thank you for your love letter to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you, would you prick our hearts this morning? And Lord, show us uh, where we are not hating our own lives. Or would you convict us this morning and not allow us to leave unchanged? In Jesus' name, amen. Most mornings at the Hurdle House are very similar. 
they start out with mama getting up with baby and sitting there on the couch and uh, then dad rolls out of bed around 6.30 and Leland is up shortly after that. And as Leland gets up and uh, I come into his room, we have a routine that we do. Uh, first he passes me Pooh Bear and then blanket number one and then blanket number two and then his lamb and anything else that's in his bed and then I pick him up and we take him out to the couch and uh, I set him down and, and he starts snuggling with mama as he wakes up and that's his routine and after some devotions and breakfast it's time for dad to get ready to go to work and uh, sometimes not all the time but sometimes uh, Leland starts calling for dad as he walks out into the garage dad you know don't leave or Maybe just not understanding, he wants to come with me, not understanding why dad has to go and, uh, or where I'm going for that matter. And I can imagine that as Jesus now is starting into explaining to the disciples that this hour has come, that they must have thought and felt somewhat of the same thing. As Jesus would describe to them the death that he was about to face. Jesus, you're not leaving us. Wait, you're leaving us? You're supposed to be our hero. You're supposed to be our savior from oppression. You're supposed to be our rabbi, our miracle worker. And yet Jesus is talking about this hour that has come. This hour that Jesus was talking about to his disciples, we're going to see four aspects of, of that that Jesus himself brings out in Scripture. Firstly, it was an hour of glorification. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, this, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus didn't mean that he was going to be glorified in the eyes of men. That had already happened during the triumphal entry. Jesus was saying he was going to be glorified on the cross. This was the hour that he had come for. This was the hour that, that his entire life was here on earth to, to be. He was to be glorified on the cross. And, and if you can just imagine with me something like the cross that every human would deem despicable, disgraceful, absolutely grotesque, Jesus counted it as glory for us. Jesus Christ said, that's how I'm going to be glorified. That's how God's will is going to get done. That hour, he had been delivered from several times. In two places in John, John chapter 7, verse 30, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because the, his hour was not yet come. And then also in John chapter 8, verse 20, These words spake John and uh, Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. This hour was a specific set time that God had for him that he was going to die for our sins, and now that hour is finally here. The second thing about this hour was, in Jesus' mind, this hour was as good as done. And you say, well, where do you see that in Scripture? Look at the last part. Look at, look at uh, verse 23 again. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. Now that phrase right there is in the Greek, it's in the perfect tense. And you're saying, Pastor, wait, you're going to use the Greek on us? I don't know if I can understand the Greek this morning. It's early. It's okay, you can. 
the Greek perfect tense uh, operates like, like in the English. It describes an action that has been brought to completion and whose effects are felt in the presence. Okay, so how, do, how does that work? Dad ha- went to the store yesterday to buy some milk, and now I'm experiencing the, the, the effects of it in the present this morning as I'm able to sit down with a bowl of cereal and milk. Okay, so that's kind of an English example. What Jesus is saying here is that the hour, this hour is come. He's saying that the miracle of his dying for our sins, being buried and rising again the third day, was as good as done even before it took place. The hour is come. The hour has come and gone in Jesus' mind. It was, a, it was as good as done not only then, but even when the Father talks to Adam and Eve in the garden and he says, I'm going to crush Satan's head. It was as good as done then. And Jesus is now saying, this hour is come. The victory over sin, death, and hell is going to be paid for. It's as good as done in my mind that I'm going to spill my blood at the cross. He tells his, his disciples, this hour is come, and it's going to be one of glory for the Son of Man. Secondly, this hour that is come is one of death. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, that where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. In this uh, age of life, everyone is conscious about saving life. We read much about that in just medical science of trying to extend life expectancy. In uh, following the, the big fire in, in the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas in 1981, uh, reporters came up to each of the, the surviving individuals and they said, how, how, they, they, they interviewed them, asking them, how did you save your life? You know, what was, what was the key factor? And we can be sure that Experts nowadays are trying to, especially in the, in the insurance industries, are trying to figure out how to make sure that, that uh, people are staying alive and that those kind of accidents don't happen. We have life rafts, lifeboats, life uh, lines, lifeguards, life insurance, all these different kinds of things. Even when you step onto an aircraft, an airplane, if I were to board Southwest Airlines, uh, today they would start out with the stewardess coming out and walking through the mask and the, the emergency exit and, and explaining how to save life in the, in the moment of an emergency. However, when Jesus spoke of saving our lives, he gave an entirely different emphasis. The world says, look out for number one. The world would say, the one who would save his life must save his own life. But Jesus said in verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it 
unto life eternal. I want us to see a couple things about regarding this death to self that Jesus Christ is talking about here. Number one, no death, if we decide not to die, it equals polished uselessness. Except a corn of wheat, verse 24, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Now you can, you can say no to God. You can say yes to self. And Jesus warns you it's going to be useless and it's going to be lonely. You're not going to bring forth fruit. If you choose not to die, and I'm not talking physically here, I'm saying dying to self, if you choose not to do that, then your life will not bring forth fruit. Your life will not bring forth other life. It abideth alone. It's a lonely place to be and without any fruit for eternity. But it doesn't have to look like that. Look at the second part of the verse. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Fruit. That means no death, no death equals polished uselessness. But if you die, as Christ says, there's divine fruitfulness. When we say no to self, it is then that we can say yes to God and see God's full hand of blessing on our life. And it's not just for a little bit of time. It's not just for a little bit of fruit. Jesus says, much fruit, much fruit. When, when, when you get rid of self, when you say, no, I'm not going to live for my temporal pleasures, my temporal comforts, uh, when you get rid of self, Jesus Christ is able to shine through you, and everything that you touch will be fruitful. You say, everything? Is that really in the Bible? Everything that I touch will be fruitful? Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." Everything. Everything. That means every single time, every single day that I allow the Holy Spirit to fill me and His love to flow through me, everything I touch can be, can be absolutely impacted by the beauty of Jesus Christ and, and absolutely be fruitful, as we sang about there just a moment ago. God wants each one of our lives to be like that. God wants us to be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Your love of temporal life will only bring you joy in this life, and you will never see it again. But your death to self brings forth an eternally fruitful and joyful life. Look at verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, he that hateth it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. When Christ said that we should hate our lives, he's not telling us to walk around like Eeyores and say, with a cloud over our head, and say, you know, if someone comes to you, how's your day going? How oh, absolutely horrible. This day is horrible. I hate today. I hate my life. That's not what God's telling us to do. 
he's telling us, he, he means that we should disregard this life because we're pilgrims and strangers here. This isn't our home. We're just a passing through. Hebrews chapter 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Henry Morris said it like this, and I like this, The man whose priorities are right as such an, has such an attitude of love for the things of God that it makes all interest in the affairs of this life appear by comparison as hatred. I love God so much. I'm invested so much in the work of God that when my neighbor looks at me, they think that I hate this life. And, and it's because I'm, my life is about the eternal. We have that issue kind of with uh, some of our old neighbors where they got saved and we were able to lead them to the Lord. But every time they come over and they, they, they talk to us, it's kind of the same, same thing where they're interested in all these other things that they like to do, fishing, and, and all of those things have their place and they're, they're nice. But when they see our life and we're invested in, in the things of the Lord, hey, we're going to go over to the new church building and, and start fixing her up for services, they're not interested in that. They're, they're, they're interested in the things of, of pleasing themselves in this life. And so it looks like we hate this life. <clears throat> in our lives today, God is calling for this kind of life in each one of us. Not one of us gets a pass on this. God wants each one of us to have a life that's willing to say no to self and yes to God if we want to experience God's full blessing on our life. And God promises something, that if we do this, there's, a, there's, a, there's an added blessing for each one at the end of verse 26. If any man serve me, this is the man that serves God and follows God, him will my father honor. I can imagine a lot of honors, an honor at a job or a workplace, an honor at school, or an honorary uh, just this thing that you receive. But when you get honored by the king of kings, that's, that's an honor worth living for. That's, that's what I want. I want my father's honor and blessing on me. Thirdly here, this was an hour of necessity. Look at verse 27 with me. Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus here. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. This was the very need that Jesus came to meet. This was an hour of necessity. Necessity For this cause came I unto this hour. This is why I'm here. Your sin and my sin were going to be paid in full this very hour. And Jesus says, this is the whole reason I came. When Jesus speaks at the first part of this verse, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Jesus is not saying that he'll never speak this. We know that in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it be your will, would you remove this cup from me? And, and, and Christ is, is saying there in this, in this passage here, he's saying that there is a need. He came to, for, for 
he, there's a need that he came uh, for that's greater than him keeping his life. My soul is troubled. What should I say then? Should I, should, I, should I start wallowing in this? It was for this hour that I came. This was the necessity. This is why I'm here. Uh, it's way you, the lives of this world uh, reuniting mankind f- for his divine purpose of a relationship with God is, was far better to Christ than keeping his own life. And as believers, we need to follow that exact example of Jesus Christ. There is a need that is great in our world. It's called the gospel that needs to get to people. And it's greater than you keeping your comfortable, cozy American Christian life. It's far greater, far greater. God wants you to see that saying no to yourself will bring blessing in that area. This was the very need Jesus came to meet. Also, the Father promised that his name would be glorified when Jesus came to meet the the need of mankind. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. This voice that was heard by everybody, I could just imagine. I I would love to have been there. But anybody who didn't believe that this was truly the Son of God now knew for sure, that this was God. This was Jesus. This is the one that they came to this very feast of Passover to worship. And this would be the time that God won the day. This, is the, this was the hour that was beginning. We see that it was an hour of glorification. It was an hour of death. It was an hour of necessity. But lastly, it was an hour of victory. It was an hour of victory. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. There was a victory over Satan. Jesus was not coming. He had already said this. I've not come to judge the world. I've come to save, save them. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save mankind. But there was one that he was coming to judge in this moment. There was one that he was coming to cast out in this moment and crush his head. And that was the head of Satan. And he would crush his, his head forever. Satan had no right. Satan had no right to, to mankind. And Jesus Christ won us back. There is also a victory to any man or woman, boy or girl, that puts his trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 32, And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Christ said, all men. The victory of the atonement is not limited to just a certain group of people. There is no limited atonement. Jesus Christ died for all men and women. It was for all mankind that he would come and, and draw us to himself. Now, not everybody accepts his drawing. Unfortunately, there are many people that would rather say yes to themselves and reject the drawing of God. 
but God says that he draws all men. The key to Christ drawing then people from their sins is what? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Christ was lifted up on the cross, and today he must be lifted up in our community. If we want Jesus Christ to continue that work of drawing, Christ needs to be seen. Now, Christ has his word, but Jesus Christ chooses to use you and me. Jesus Christ wants to be exalted and lifted up. In closing, I'm going to end with this uh, illustration that Andrew Bonar, a revivalist in the mid-19th century, he gave this illustration. One day, a friend of mine, in passing down a Glasgow street, saw a crowd at a shop door and had the curiosity to look in. There, he saw an auctioneer holding up a grand picture so that all could see it. When he got it in position, he remained behind it and said to the crowd, Now look at this part of the picture, and now this other part, and so on, describing each detail of it. Now, said my friend, the whole time I was there, I never saw the speaker, but only the picture he was showing. That is the way to work for Christ. He must increase, but we must be out of sight. We must decrease. And that's the life that God is calling you and me to this morning.